All right, so tonight we're going to continue our prophecy conference and the upcoming messages. Tomorrow night we're going to deal with the Russia and the coming World War III, which could be very easily just right around the corner. In fact, it could honestly start before you wake up tomorrow morning. Uh, if you're watching the news, then you know what's going on. On Tuesday night, we're going to deal with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And then the last night of our prophecy conference is going to be who is the Antichrist. Now tonight's message is the mark of the beast. So turn to that passage right there. And we're going to read those three verses as we kick off our message on the mark of the beast. This is where it is spoken of with specificity. And so in Mark chapter, or Revelation rather, chapter number 13, and the last three verses of that chapter, it says, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. And when it gives those oars, it's just saying that whatever that number is, is going to magnify those things. The beast's name and the beast's number. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is. And on what day of the week of creation was man created? Yeah, sixth. It's the number of a man, and his number is 600, three score. How many years are in a score? 20. So three times 20, there's 60, and six. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now tonight that you'll bless our opportunity to gather here in the house of God and deal with this very, very important subject. And we just thank you for loving us, and we just pray now that you'll bless. If there's someone here tonight that's unsaved, not sure of their eternal destiny, I pray that this message tonight might seal the deal, that they finally understand if they don't accept Christ as their eternal Savior, they are facing a Christless grave and an endless, hopeless eternity separated from God. I pray tonight they'll understand that as never before. In Jesus' name, amen. I appreciate the missionary's presentation, and you know there is a sense of urgency in this prophecy conference. And you know what connects this prophecy conference and our dear missionary friend is the fact that, folks, we don't have a lot of time to get missionaries out anymore. Uh, the doors are even closing in our own country. There's a hostility on the horizon toward Christianity and missionaries in America that I would have never dreamed of when I was a young man. But it has risen to the point now to where we have a lot of work to do and there's not a lot of time to get her done. So there's a sense of urgency that connects the two. Before we start tonight, I want to give three prophecy tips. And tip number one is called the distress tip. The distress tip. Knowledge revealed by Bible prophecies is not always easy to accept, appreciate, or share with others. If you had cancer, do you want the doctor that knows or figured out you have cancer to sit you down in his office and say, don't worry about it, it'll go away on its own, here's some aspirin. Is that what you want to hear from him? I mean, if all you want sweet messages, then that's all you want to hear from him. No, it's not. It, it's hard. Knowing the future truth about God's Word cannot be dismissed. It cannot be ignored. And furthermore, it cannot be left unsaid. 
whether it's popular or not popular, it cannot be left unsaid. There's just too much to do. Tip number two before we get into this is called the clarity tip. Did you know that Martin Luther, Zwingli, John Calvin, and several others didn't even think the book of Revelation belonged in the Bible? Calvin wrote commentaries on every book of the Bible except one. Guess which one? He did not believe it even belonged in the canon. Now here, let's talk about the clarity tip. Can you read that? Anyone? Okay, now let me show you something. It's hard to read just like that, isn't it? But when I do this, how about now? Yeah. And it's the same thing with prophecy. Part of the reason they thought it was a book of mystery and a, mis a book not worth even talking about, a book not even worth preaching about, is because they're a million miles from it and all it looks like is mystical haze, white noise. But the closer you get to something, the rule is, the closer you are, the clearer something becomes. Clarity. The third tip tonight before we get started is called the preparation tip. The preparation tip. Ignoring God's word will be at your own peril. God gives it to you so that you will prepare. He wants you to get ready. You can be the member of every church in America and you'll still end up in hell. You can be baptized in every creek, pond, river, and ocean in this world and still end up in hell. Salvation is through the blood of Jesus Christ plus nothing, minus nothing. He's the Savior. And you need Jesus Christ as your Savior. You need to get prepared. A prophecy is meant by God to be an informative warning. I mean, in the olden days, if you weren't watching the needle on your gas gauge, you just ran out of gas. But nowadays, they got cars that actually will talk to you. I'm serious. We rented a car once. I forget what it was. A, I don't know. They upgraded us to some Park Avenue, and as it got low on gas, it said, "Low or, or get gas, or you're, you need gas, or something. And uh, I was perturbed. <laughs> I don't want some car talking to me. I hate nanny cars. Listen, prophecy can be both informative and motivational. John chapter number 16 and verse number 3, the Lord Jesus Christ said, The things that I say unto you, in the world you will have tribulation, but fear not, I have overcome the world. They can be informative and make us stronger, and they can be motivational. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Christ wants you to make the right choice, the choice for him. So now let us begin with the mark of the beast. We just read about it. Things which have, we're going to start with things that have been called the mark of the beast through history, especially within the last 40 years. And so let's look at a few of them. Sunday worship. Anyone that worships on Sunday is called the mark of the beast. Ellen G. White, Seventh-day Adventist. Anybody that worships on Sunday, that's the mark of the beast. The Catholics retaliated. Anybody that keeps the Sabbath after the resurrection of Christ, that's the mark of the beast, according to them. Any woman that puts on makeup, or man these days, 
Anyone that puts on makeup, mark of the beast. Anyone that has or watches television, mark of the beast. Anyone that gets a tattoo anywhere on their body, mark of the beast. Anyone that takes medicine, Christian Science Church, Boston, Massachusetts, mark of the beast. Anyone that has a social security number has the mark of the beast. Anyone that has or carries a driver's license from any state in the union or nation of the world, mark of the beast. Anyone that carries a visa card, and we'll talk more about this one in a minute, because it actually does say 666, and the guy that put it on there did it on purpose. VI, everyone recognizes VI as Roman numeral for what number? Well, the S and the A also stand for the number six. And he did it on purpose. We'll talk more about that later. And anyone that has or uses or carries any other Bible than the old King James, Mark of the Beast. That one comes out of Pensacola, Florida. We'll just leave that one alone too. Amen? I love the King James. Don't get me wrong. Best Bible there is. If you got one of them other ones, get you a good one. Amen? But that's a problem. They're all a problem. So what is the problem with all these things that have been preached as the mark of the beast? They're all wrong. They're all wrong. Why are they wrong? Well, they're wrong for this key biblical mistake. They fail to take the word of God at its literal face value when seeking to interpret biblical prophecy. If the Bible says it's a mark, it's a mark. If the Bible says it's a number, it's a number. Don't try to turn it into something else. These ten things, they are not the mark of the beast. This is that passage of Scripture that was just read. Let's take a look at this passage of Scripture. Wherever you see the triple dots, I've eliminated parts that are just, just given in there for your admonition. They don't really add to what the passage is saying, but let me just show you this. Here, let's go through this. First of all, it says, He causeth. He causeth. In other words, it is mandatory and enforceable. You will take the mark. He's going to cause you to take the mark. Mandatory and enforceable. Second thing he says is all are going to have to do it. It's going to be universal. And to add to universal, so you understand, he says, the small and great, your physical stature means nothing. You will take the mark. He says, rich or poor, your, your, your bottom line, your bank account means nothing. You will take the mark. And he says, free or bond, your social status means nothing. You will take the mark. It is universal. The next thing he says is they will receive it. In other words, there is a submission process. You have to accept it when it is given. Next thing he says about it is it's a mark. So therefore, it is going to be physically visible somewhere on the human body. There's going to be something visible. There's going to be a mark left on the body. The Apostle Paul once said, he said, I don't want you to trouble me anymore at the end of Galatians. He said, because I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. When he used that word, he's talking about how many times he was beaten and the scars on his back. All he had to do was take off his shirt and you could see how many times the Apostle Paul was beaten. They left marks. And there's going to be a mark that's equally visible. Next thing we learn about it is that it's in the right hand. This is a test of loyalty. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And in their foreheads. You know, there are not everybody has a right hand. Some people have lost their right hand or right arm. 
Some people are quadriplegic or paraplegic. They cannot move their arms. It has to be in them somewhere, and so they're going to find another place to put it on. And the medical community has to be very careful where they put it because it will move. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Next thing he says, they will not be able to buy or sell. So with this mark, he will be able to economically control you. Your paycheck being deposited, where you work, the money in your bank account will be able to be controlled by this system. The next thing he says, that it is discernible. He that hath understanding. So this thing is not mysterious. It is going to be understandable, knowable what it is definitively, objectively. And then he adds this. It is a mark and a number. Well, which is it? Is it a mark or is it a number? It's both. And we'll show you how in just a little bit. And that number is 603 score and 6. And it is his number. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit as well. And the last thing I want to bring up about this is God absolutely hates this thing. And he has already promised in Revelation 14 he's going to send anyone to hell that takes it. That's God's promise. Now let's talk about this. Here are six political facts about the mark. Number one, it is received in the right hand or forehead. Why, why the right hand? Because that's a place of honor. The Romans, during the time of the Roman legions of the Roman Empire, before they would go into battle, they would always salute with their fist over their heart and say, strength and honor before they went into battle. Always the right hand, always a fist, always over their heart. Not only that, and I, you know, you're, you got to forgive the Europeans and the way they salute. A little bit dumb, but... Uh, I say, old chap, you, by the way, you know that they actually invented the salute? You know, what the, you know what that is? They actually, it comes from the time of royalty, it used to be a little further over, and it was put over the eyes to shield your eyes from the royal person as they walked by. That was the salute. And then they moved it over here, and thank goodness the Americans came along, and they fixed it the way it's supposed to be. Amen, brother? <laughs> In fact, the first training you get when you go to boot camp, anybody else in the service, is how to salute. I remember I saluted a lieutenant once with my left hand. I was carrying a gob of stuff under my right arm, so I saluted him with my left hand. For the next half hour, I had to stand there and salute, and then put it down, and salute, and put it down, and salute, and put it down. You understand it's your right hand, son? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Not only that, the communist salute, always the right hand. What was Adolf Hitler's salute? Yeah, Zig Heil. Saddam Hussein's salute, right hand. When we take oaths, or we say pledges, right hand over the heart, left hand on the Bible, right hand in the air, because it's a thing of honor. The right hand has always been that. Even Spock. <laughs> Live long and prosper, man. Hey, by the way, I'll tell you something. You, did. you, know, you know Leonard Nimoy was Jewish. And you know, he invented that. He, he's the one that picked that for the show. You know why? Because it's been used by the Jews for thousands of years. This is the symbol, Jewish symbol for God bless you or for blessing. Go to a Jewish cemetery sometime and look at the stones and you'll see this on their cemetery stones. And no, they're not Vulcans. 
First it's going to be optional, then it's going to be mandatory. It is also going to be alphanumeric. It is going to be a number and it's going to be a mark. Alpha, what does alphanumerics mean? Well, they used to think Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist because he had six letters in each of his name. That's alphanumerics. That's what they're doing. And you really have to be careful doing this because it can reach the ridiculous. I'll show you another one. Visa is six plus six plus six. And yes, the manufacturer of that card knew what they were doing. Adolf Hitler, if you take the United States alphabet or the English alphabet and you make A 100, B 101, C 102, and so on, if you spell out Hitler's name, it adds up to, guess what? Yeah, 666. I always wondered, why didn't you add Adolf? Well, that would throw their numerics off, okay? We can't do that, okay? This is called alphanumerics, and it can become very ridiculous. I'll show you how ridiculous it can get. Fox News is the mark of the beast. And I want to hear any amens. The F is the sixth letter of the alphabet. That equals six. The O is the 15th letter. One plus five equals six. The X is the 24th letter. Two plus four equals six. See? That's alphanumerics. And it can reach the level of the ridiculous. So watch out for somebody that tries to predict stuff based on alphanumerics. Next thing we know about it is it will be implemented worldwide, globally, globally. Barack Obama in 2008 set up the Global Economic Council and they've met twice a year ever since it was set up in 2008. It is to stabilize the economy so that one stock market going down cannot destabilize the whole world again. But they're making rules now, and they are on par with the United Nations as far as power goes, especially economic power. Not only that, it will be an economic necessity. In other words, you will not be able to buy groceries. You will not be able to buy gas. You will not be able to have a checking account. You'll not be able to own any property unless you have the mark. And then the last thing of a political facts about it is it will be a test of new world order loyalty. It may start out as voluntary. They want to get all the voluntary people and the easy folks first. And all the holdouts that are last, they're going to end up getting, end up getting drug in. And saying no to the mark is going to be just as lethal and just as condemnable by the New World Order as the Juden were condemned by the Third Reich. Now, you remember when Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 said, if your right eye offends you, what did he say? Pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, you know, I used to think that was hyperbole. Jesus was just being hyperbolic. Maybe not. Where are the marks? In the right hand or in the forehead? And maybe the only way to get to it is through the eye. And so maybe it's not. Maybe you have to chop your hand off and dig your eye out. I don't know. Okay, where did the mark of the beast gain its modern rise? Well, it actually started in 1958. Now, I'm going to take you through a little quick history lesson here. It began, the whole program that is leading up to this system began in 1958 with the introduction of these two cards. Bank of America issued what is called the Bank of Bank America card, and Centurion Bank issued the very first American Express card. Four strategic goals were set by these companies in collaboration when they established this credit system. Number one, 
plastic must become publicly acceptable. You think they're there? Yeah. Number two, convenience must evolve into necessity. You think they're there? Oh yeah, they're there. I mean, try renting a car without one, okay? It gets very hard. You gotta lay down some heavy cash if you're gonna do it without it. And the day's coming, you won't be able to do it at all. Number three, these systems, credit systems, must expand to include bank debiting. Ha are they there? They're there. And the fourth one is the multiple systems that are out there must merge into a single credit debit system. And they're almost there now. They're very near completion of their four initial goals. In order to reach every social class, credit card issuers have developed many card uh, varieties and levels. That they call that stratification. They have stratified their cards in order to draw into the system grid a maximum number of card holders. They have different levels, and as you're a good boy or good girl, they will increase your credit limit and give you another color. And so you start out with standard, and then you get promoted to silver and gold and platinum, and there's probably a few in between there, but the highest one, at least among American Express and, and Visa, is a black card, an ebony card. With American Express, you must charge at least $250,000 a year to be warranted an ebony card. And if you do not hit that goal, they can charge you a severe penalty for not charging at least $250,000 on your card. So think twice before you take the ebony card, amen? And they've also created a variety of instruments, all different kinds, because what's their purpose? They want to reach every strata of society from the poorest to the richest. They want everyone to be brought in. And then they incorporated these. How many of you have noticed your chips? Okay, yeah, now they have chips. Now you can call that desensitization, call it anything you want, but on that chip is all your credit information. And how hard will it be to move it from there to there? You think it'll be hard? No, it will not be hard at all. With this system, the use of cash is becoming obsolete. I'll bet there's people right here in this auditorium, probably more of them than we know, who've gone through this entire last week, paid your bills, received your paycheck, and done everything, and you didn't do it with one cent of cash. Because you know what? 97% of all money today is non-cash electronic. Non-cash. Uh, look at this. Look at this little wheel here. Your paycheck is direct deposited to your bank. You buy your groceries and gasoline by debit card or by credit card. You pay your bills, online banking, and you give your tithes and your offerings with a bank check. No cash, not if one cent of cash was involved in any of that. 97% of all money is ones and zeros, electronic. That's where we've arrived. Why? Because of the rise of digital. Now let's talk about these for a second, UPCs. Everybody's seen them. Okay, if you haven't, I want to know where you've been living, okay? They're on virtually every product you can imagine. This bottle of water they have up here for me, there it is, right there, right on the bottle of water. Now, let me tell you some things about this. First of all, there are two numbers at the bottom. The number on the left is called the manufacturer's code. 
In other words, take General Mills, the cereal manufacturer, General Mills. Every cereal they make, if they make 30 different varieties of cereal, every single, every single cereal box is going to have that number because that's General Mills' number. Then the next one is called the product code. And that will vary depending on whether you're buying the 12 ounce or the 14 ounce or the 16 ounce and whether you're buying crunchy corn bran or Cheerios or whatever. That number will change. Now notice something. There are two thin lines on the left where the red dots are and two thin lines right in the center. It takes two lines to make one number. It's digital, peaks and valleys. Notice that the number right to the right of the center two is exactly like it, and guess what number that is? You see it right there beside it? Look at the very first number of the product code. It's the number six. All three of those are 666. Now, believe me, they tried. I was an assistant grocery store manager at Ramey when these first came out. They tried other numbers. They tried, let me tell you the three numbers that were complete fails, one, three, and seven. wonder why that is. Those are God's numbers. They came close with nine. With the number nine, they actually had a success rate. That means they, it didn't fail at the cash register. They had a success rate of nine, about 96.6%. That's not bad, but they're still going to miss some prices. And then lo and behold, they settled for a six. And guess what? It is now 99.999% accurate. God didn't say how they were going to settle on that number. He just said that's where they're going to settle. And so they have. Those are called laser registration numbers. They have to have them because every time you run something through and it goes beep, the machine has to reset to zero. Every time it beeps, it resets. Every time. And you have to have the right numbers to get it to reset properly. And that number is six. So what does this actually mean then? Is this the mark of the beast? No, it's not. But notice it is both a mark and a number. Did you see that? But no, you're not going to be tattooed with that, like the hitman or something in the movie back here. No, nothing like that, okay? What it does show is the end of analog and the rise of digital. We had to get rid of analog TVs, remember? All that that went on, okay? Because they want to bring on digital. And it is objective proof that the Bible is literal when it says there's going to be a 666. How many of you have seen these cues before? You can look at any one of them you want and you will always only find three corner squares. And you know what those three, the number is for those three corner squares? The number six. God didn't say how it was going to be among us, but it is among us already. And we transact with it every single day. It's already here. This is more proof that the digital grid demands the 666. Here are two great books. It's uh, called The New Money System by Dr. Relf, as well as uh, The Mark of the Beast, Racing Toward the Mark of the Beast by the Lalonde Brothers, two Canadian prophecy preachers. And so uh, you'll find both of these books interesting if you ever want to get them. 2025 is the year that they're anticipating the consolidation of all credit cards into a single system. They're going to bring all credit cards together. You're going to be issued one single card. Now, this one is just a sample. This one is made in France. It is already being used in France. And someday is going to come to America. And on that card, made by Aviso, you can actually get 
all of your cards can be on it. Visa, MasterCard, American Express, they're all on it. When you go into Outback to eat a steak, you go to the cash register with your Aviso card, and the first question they're gonna ask is, on which card does this go? You'll punch a little number in, the number will come up on there, then it sticks into the slot, and they know to give that to your Visa account or your MasterCard or your American Express account, etc. There are other competitor companies that are busy doing this. Now what purposes have credit cards served to prepare for the mark? Three things. Number one, desensitization. Desensitization, to develop popular public acceptance. I think it's there. Number two, dependency. To create a system of marketplace dependency where you cannot conduct or transact business unless you have this system. And number three is indenture. They want to create long-term debt as leverage. Do you know how many trillions of dollars of credit card debt there are? They want to create that debt because they know if they've got you in deep debt, when they say jump, all you can say is how high. They want to create indentured debt. Get out of debt if you can. How will the mark be forced on society? They're going to launch a biochip as a medical ID system first. In fact, it is in the Obamacare. The uh, Affordable Health Care Act in the paragraph on the Department of Agriculture section called Medical Devices, they want every human being to be embedded with a biochip. Now the date they wanted this to be done, come and gone. Because there's been a lot of people fighting against this, trying to get it going, and you should thank the Lord for that. But it is in there. And so if anybody's elected that brings this monster back, we're going to all be in trouble. Ronald Reagan delivered a speech in 1961 called when he spoke out against socialized medicine. And one of the comments he makes in the speech is, when tyranny comes to America, it will come through the back door of health care. He was wise beyond his years. Then will come a period of global economic collapse, a depression that will make the depression of the 1930s look like child's play because it isn't going to just be the United States, Germany, and the Soviet Union. It's going to be the entire world. Everyone is going to collapse. Then there's going to be a period of te desperation, depression. I mean, food lines, people lining up for a mile just to get an apple. It's going to be just like it was then. Then the economy is going to be rebooted. Praise the Lord, finally. It's going to be rebooted. But... It's also going to be notified, everyone's going to be notified that you have 30 days to take all the cash that you have and turn it into your bank. Because after 30 days, any coins or cash that you have are nothing but collector's items. They are worthless. I don't know what drug dealers are going to do when they have 18 wheelers of cash. You think that's going to be a tip-off when you pull up to Commerce Bank with an 18-wheeler and about 12 pallets of cash? Yeah, I think the FBI may be listening in, amen? But that's what's going to happen. By the way, remember, Roosevelt closed the banks with one signature. The president has this power. Number five is he's going to impose biochip implant as a government mandate in order to access the money that you have in your digital account so that you can continue to buy gasoline and so that your checks continue to be deposited. Now, what technology is going to make this doable? What, what, what is going to make this possible? It's this, RFID, Radio Frequency Identification Device. And they're already among you. I would bet 
almost all the money I have, that almost everyone except the children in this room have one on you right now, where you sit. They're used in everything. They have changed the technology. They've improved the technology. Some of them are so small, like the second one from the left in the bottom, that blue one. Those microchips you see are in the center of the D on a penny. The D for Denver Mint, those microchips are there. Here's a dime in the second one from the right. Look at how many microchips are laying and they can't even come up to the size of a dime. They are very small. The one in the top or the lower left, as well as uh, the one in the second from the uh, top right, they're used in library books. Most libraries have these things so that now they can check your book out. They don't even have to open the cover. They can check them out. These are the four major manufacturers of biochips in the world right now. They produce them by the hundreds of millions. Um, any vets in here? Anybody is a vet? Uh, which company, I know you implant them in, in uh, animals, which company do you use? I know you're using one of those four companies to get your biochips for your vet's office. They've been beta testing biochips in animals for the last 30 years. And the technology is already being used among us. For instance, livestock, ranchers, farmers are embedding biochips in all their animals. Zoo stock, every, every animal that's at Dickerson Park Zoo has a biochip, every one of them. When they do wildlife research, whether it's on the sockeye salmon of, of Washington or whether it's on the, the blue whales of the ocean, they use biochips so that they can track them by satellite. Family pets, I, I ministered in Hawaii 40 years, you can't have a pet in Hawaii without a biochip. And not only that, they're using them in people. The first country to ever do it was France. We'll talk more about that in a moment. How does RFID work? Well, first you have a reader and you have the implant that's put in. It is passive. There's no battery in it. It's passive. It cannot function until an electric current passes over it. Then what happens is the reader emits a, a searching pulse. Number two, the pulse then activates the implant. The implant then responds with the information that's on it. And as long as you have the right pin or the right access, all the information that's on the biochip will be disgorged, disengorged to the reader so that they can access all the information that's there, be it financial, medical, psychological, it's all there. RFID readers, You've probably all gone to Sam's Club. You can just pick one up now off the thing. It's just handheld and just go beep, 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 and it's handheld. And then there's other ones that are stationary. They don't move. You have to pass the item in front of it. The FBI, there are aerial types like the, the plane you see there. The FBI has a huge fleet of those airplanes. They can literally fly over areas and read every biochip that there is from these planes. Ranchers in Arizona, New Mexico, Montana, they use the helicopters and the wands that stick out because they can fly literally over their cattle herd and they turn their little thing on and they send out the pulse and it all comes back to the computer and they know if every one of their cows are present and if Bessie is not there, the computer comes up and says, Bessie's not here and it will even show a picture of the cow that's missing on their computer so they can go hunting. But also by satellite, 
the United States Army, a lot of the Green Berets, Special Forces, Delta Force, no more dog tags. When I was in, we taped them to our chest so they made no noise. No more dog tags. These guys are embedded with microchips. They can literally go anywhere in the world and our satellites can track every soldier, wherever they are. These applications also, they're in all your telephones, everything since the year 2005, okay? Because that's when George Bush signed the Patriot Act. If you have a car that's newer than 2005, a TV, an Xbox, car keys, a Garmin, telephone, even the cameras, they're able to pluck your photograph right out of the air if they want to. So be careful what you're taking pictures of. Say, wow, man, this sounds like 1984 and Big Brother. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not only that, the passport. Your passport. I brought tonight my old passport and my new one. The old passport, when they give it back to you, they hole punch it. See, they... they they punch holes through it and send it back to you. You can't use this one, okay? So they send you a new one. This is my old one. If you look on it, there is nothing below United States of America, just blue. Just the blue leather that they put on this thing. Here's the new one. See this little symbol? Right there it is. Same little symbol that's on there. You know what that means? It means that in this passport there's an RFID chip that's got every bit of your information on it. Truth is, they don't even need to open this anymore. All they got to do is pass it through the thing, and they've got all your info right there. Because all passports now in all countries of the world have to have the RFID chip. How will it be implanted? Well, they started out implanting them by experiment here in this part of the hand. But they ran into problems. Anybody that's a weightlifter? You know, you know what a curl is or a clean and jerk? And you pick that thing up there and that weight just sets around right there? They were having a lot of problems with that. Plus it tends to travel. They experimented. What if they put them in the shoulder? And it, guess where it ends up? It ends up down in the knee. You know, as you move your muscles, whatever you have in your body moves all over you. So they had to be real careful. What they found out was is that the ideal place for putting it without breakage so they avoid bioambulation, that means it moves around, is right there between the second and third metacarpals on the hand. Right in between this hand, these two bones, it is trapped, it cannot move anywhere. You think Jesus knew about this? Oh yeah, he knew what was coming. And guess what, this process can be accomplished in five minutes. It takes less time to inject one of those chips than it does to get ears pierced. Not that I know. Okay. Other high-tech RFID uses, big hospitals like, like uh, Israel Mount Sinai uses it, Johns Hopkins uses it, UCLA Hospital uses these. They peel off just like a label, just like you're putting a label on an envelope. They peel off, slap that baby on your arm, and now they don't have to come in and wake you up at 2 in the morning to take your pulse and your blood pressure because these things do it automatically and record it in the memory chip, that black area there, and all the nurse has to do is take the reader and stick it inside the room like that, and she can pull it right back out of the room and it tells them exactly what your pulse, your blood pressure, and all your vitals are without even waking you up. Here's another one that's used. They're called nano display emitters. They were on display in this movie. 
Total Recall by Columbia Pictures in 2012 where they made phone calls and the, the, the emitters were right in their hand. And if they wanted to see it larger, they could put it on a piece of glass and it would make it larger so that they could use even a, like a laptop computer right on the glass. These emitters, this is, not, this is not imaginary. This isn't mysterious. This isn't a joke. They already exist. These nano-emitters are already being embedded in people. They are also figured out that they can use what are called fuel cell bioimplants. They implant them in the brain. They're very successful in holding off Alzheimer's or dementia. Because what happens is, is this is a magnification of how brain cells, nerve cells, actually attach themselves to that chip and are able then to regain their knowledge and the things that you program into the chip. They will remember and they'll know from these chips. Not only that, there are what are called nanocellular drones, cancer. The American Cancer Society and several other research organizations are experimenting with these. These nanocellular drones, they can inject them in the body and they will literally hunt down cancer cells. They will attach to the cancer cell and kill the cell. But they are having problems with them because you have to inject so many of them to get any accomplishment. And then once you do, how do you get them out of the body? once they're in. So they're not perfected yet. Israel perfected this though. These are called intervascular bioorbs. They are smaller than a blood cell. And Israel's able to inject them with just a thing and they can even program them to go to a certain place in your body for extraction. And then they can be removed from the body and downloaded with all the information. They work excellent for diagnosing cancers and different types of diseases. Israel, by the way, is at the forefront of the medical community. I wouldn't be surprised to find out that coronavirus is going to be cured by Israel. What are the Arabs going to do? Are they going to say, no, we won't take it because it was created by the Jews? Ooh, a conundrum. Countries that are already using RFIDs, France was number one. In fact, they put it in 180,000 people before the people even knew it. It was discovered in Belgium by a doctor. And the doctor wanted to know, what is this? And so a class action lawsuit was brought against France and they had to offer to remove them from anyone that didn't want them. And only 35,000 of 180,000 came back to have them removed. These countries are using them a lot in various applications. India is one of the biggest users. Communist China is one of the biggest users. Japan, it's optional right now, but Japan is doing it a lot. RFID technology advancements will continue to pursue four goals. Convenience, high function, utility, and miniaturization. Convenience, they need to be cheaper and easier to use. If you're talking billions of people that need injected, it's got to be cheap. Then it has to be high function. They want to increase the data capacity. You know the little cell phone you're carrying has something like 20 times the computer capacity that they did when they landed on the moon. That's how things have been miniaturized. Utility, they want it to be safer so they can have wider applications. They need it to be hypoallergenic. Not everybody can take certain metals in their body. So they developed hypoallergenic biochips and miniaturization to facilitate bioadaptations, various sizes, various capacities. How will RFID be sold to the public? Here's how. First of all, it's going to be a secured credit and debit card. Do you know how many billions of dollars have to be spent by credit card companies each year to replace lost cards? 
They would love a system that could save them those billions of dollars. By theft-proof identification, no one will be able to take your ID. In fact, if, if the DACA bill had passed, it did not, they were going to put a biochip in every single person coming across the Mexican border. So they knew exactly who they were. Proof of citizenship, which country you actually belong to. The end of counterfeiting. I mean, counterfeit what? What are you going to do? Print up $100 bills? Yeah, that ain't going to be worth anything. Nobody's using $100 bills. Inhibiting prostitution. What do they pay with? Uh, we accept Visa and MasterCard. I mean, you know, what are they going to do? And then there's, it deters drug, drug trafficking and drug sales because, again, it's a cash industry. And without it, what's going to happen to their industry? It tracks Alzheimer's patients. Now they won't, grandma and grandpa won't get lost when they come out of the house and walk 10 blocks away. Because all you'll have to do is cue into the satellite and it'll tell you. I mean, right now, that OnStar thing can both lock and unlock your car. They can even start your car for you. And they can shut it off, too. I mean, that's where we're at. So the next time you go and buy a car and they say you want OnStar, just say no. Doesn't mean that they will uh, they'll not do it. And then, not only that, emergency medical data. What if you're a diabetic and you get in an accident and you can't communicate with the EMTs? What if you're allergic to penicillin? Wouldn't it be nice that all they had to do was just rub a little thing over you and they would know whether they can give you penicillin instead of wearing a bracelet that could be torn off in an accident? You know, like the guy that was uh, in an accident and in his brand new Mercedes and, and uh, it, uh, the door and, his, and he was in serious trouble and he looked, he stood there and he looked at his car laying down at the bottom of that ravine and he says, my brand new Mercedes. And the EMTs got there and said, sir, sir, you need to sit down. You need to get, you need to lay down. You, you're missing your right arm. He looks down and he says, oh, great. My Rolex is gone too. Now, with all these advantages, wow, this is great. This is wonderful. If with all these benefits, why not get this thing started right away? That's how it's going to be sold, folks. Look at all the things it's going to do for us, all the benefits we're going to have of having an RFID chip. Well, what could possibly be the downside to the RFID chip? Well, just one big one that I can name. The lake of fire, this is what God says about it. If any man receive the mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wrath of God. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. I'd say that's a big disincentive, amen? Because we are in a spiritual war. And we need to stand strong for Jesus Christ. I don't care how far technology goes. We need to stand strong for what we know the Word of God says. Now is the time then to get saved. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, you need to get saved. How do I do that, Pastor? Well, you can join Hillside, but that won't save you if you think it will. Here's how you do it. Number one, recognize you're separated from God. Number two... You need to understand what God's punishment is for everyone that is separated from God. That's eternal separation in the lake of fire. Number three, you need to understand that Jesus Christ came just so He could get you back with God. 
and unite you with him. That's why he's called a redeemer. He, God was in him reconciling the world unto himself. And number four, you've got to make a decision. It's a personal decision. Mom and daddy can't make it for you. Aunties and uncles can't make it for you. Brothers and sisters can't make it for you. Pastor can't make it for you. You have to decide that I want Jesus Christ in my heart. So get saved. Not only that, you need to get right. Christians playing church, playing around with religion, thinking you can just go every Sunday morning and I'm cool with God. What if God doesn't think you're cool? What if God doesn't think it's cool? The Lord expects more out of His Christians. He expects more out of His people. You need to get right with God. You need to get ready for what's coming. We'll talk more about this as we continue the prophecy conference. And you need to get busy for the Lord. Because there's other people out there that are unsaved and do not know this stuff. And need to know what's coming. So what should you do? Well, get others saved. Everybody you can, get them saved. Get them involved. Get them involved. Set a good example. Set a good example. Be the kind of Christian. I've told my relatives, you can come visit me, but on Sunday, you're going to be at home alone and you're coming to church with me. None of this stuff where I made a decision, Karen and I made a decision when we first got married, God gives us children, I will never put my children, if they don't get their homework done by Sunday, that's tough. They can take an F on Monday morning, it's their fault. They had time to get it done. I will never stay home because I got a kid who can't get their research paper done in time. Do not put others between them. Set a good example and then encourage others. Encourage, be an encourager. Just a good word sometimes is what someone needs to lift them up, make them feel stronger for the Lord. Because I promise you this, our freedom to act is slipping away as fast as sand through an hourglass. It's imperative that we do what he asks of us and that we believe his word. Years ago, a veterinarian went to his vet's office and he had his wife could not watch their little puppy. He had to take his little puppy with him to work. And so obviously he's got to deal with lots of animals and so he would make his little puppy stay outside the door and then he would go into these, into these checkup rooms and he'd deal with cats and dogs and the little puppy would just sit outside the door and just stare at the door and whine and sit and stare at the door. Now can I ask you a question? Do you think that puppy cares whether the lights inside the, the checkup office are fluorescent or incandescent? You think the puppy cares? You think he cares whether it's tile or whether it's carpet on the floor? You think he cares whether the walls have wallpaper or are painted? Think the puppy cares? What is that one thing, one concern of the puppy? My master's in that room and that's where I want to be. That's the only thing. Now people talk about heaven. What's it like? Oh, I don't know. I don't even float around on some cloud holding the thing. Can I tell you something? First of all, that's not in the Bible, but that's another issue. You know why I want to go to heaven? I don't care what it's like. I don't care if we got to walk on gravel roads in a thunderstorm. Jesus is there, and that's enough for me. Amen. For where Jesus is, that'll be glory for me. I want to be wherever my Savior is.